this podcast is proudly supported by CareerFax. The team at CareerFax is just as passionate about connecting people with the right course as you are. As Australia's number one careers and course search site, CareerFax attracts over 12 million visitors a year and have partnered with over 50 leading providers. Want to increase your student enrolments? Head to careerfax.com.au, your partner in student acquisition. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire and I'm pleased that you could join me for what will be the last episode uh, for this year of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, particularly if you're interested in transnational education, um, where and what opportunities there are for Australian providers offshore and particularly in Southeast Asia as well as some examples of what's currently working well. Um, Joining me on the podcast this week is Celia Yeo, who is the Senior International Development Advisor uh, within the International Development Team at Melbourne Polytechnic. Celia has years of experience um, in and around all aspects of education, and she truly knows uh, what's happening in the ASEAN region. So have a listen. And let me know what you think. Well, it's my very great pleasure to be joined on this episode of the podcast by Celia Yo, who works at Melbourne Polytechnic. Uh, she splits her time between uh, their campus and operations in Melbourne, um, as well as in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And Celia and I caught up at the recent ASEAN Australia Education Dialogue in Penang. Celia, welcome to the podcast. And I wonder if you would um, talk us through a little bit about your background in the sector and your current role. Good afternoon, Claire, and thank you for having me here on your podcast today. I guess I've been in the education sector for over 30 years now and have seen the sector from various angles, starting with a teaching career in mathematics to covering various roles such as head of department, academic registrar, involving work as a student advisor, event manager, student admissions, student records, examinations, and have also worked in areas of marketing, human resource management, business development, and program and curriculum development in both the public and private sector here in Malaysia as well as in Australia. The major part of my career, I guess, was spent in private higher education institutions in Malaysia, where I had the opportunity of being on the receiving end of transnational education programs with Australia, the UK, and the USA. Um, I have also worked in the Australian education sector, learning and contributing to the other side of the TNE equation, in particular with ASEAN countries. I guess it was with this experience and exposure that I landed a role with the Victorian Government Trade and Investment Southeast Asia Office, where government can create value for Victorian providers in all education sectors, including schools, vet, higher ed, ed tech, and all things education and training. 
My current role in the international development team at Melbourne Polytechnic is to identify new markets, new partnerships, and new ways to reach existing markets whilst managing current partnerships to ensure sustainability and growth. And as I travel to various cities in the region, travel way too much at, the, at this point in time, I will also support the international yes. recruitment team to brand and market Melbourne Polytechnic as a study destination and work with education agents and school counsellors to meet with students and parents who may be interested in studying in Melbourne. So that is the gist of my 30-odd years in education. Celia, I'm exhausted just listening to everything that you've done. Now, I, I do want to talk a bit more about um, what you're currently seeing and uh, and the kinds of things that you're doing. But before I do, um, if you don't mind just um, reflecting for us some of what we saw uh, while we were, uh, while I was um, uh, with you in, and others in Penang, um, we had site visits to one of their um, polytechnics. I will probably mangle the pronunciation, so I'm going to stick with the acronym on that. That's the PTSB, um, and also the Penang Skills Development Centre. And I, I and others were truly impressed by what we saw at both um, organisations. Um, I wonder if you could reflect a bit on what you saw there and, and what you thought about it. Sure. I guess firstly, the ASEAN Australia Education Dialogue, or the AAED, this year was small and compact but full of great ideas and sharings by non-conventional participants of education forums, I might add. It was a breath of fresh air and like you, I learned a lot from the people there. The pre-dialogue visit to the two skills training institutions was a particular highlight. Our first stop was a Malaysian polytechnic, and I will say the full name, Polytechnic Tuanku Sultana Bahia, or PTSB as it is commonly known, which, by the way, is named after the fifth queen of Malaysia, and she was queen in the early 1970s. The Polytechnic is young. They're probably only 16 or 17 years old, but has a vibrant and passionate team from their senior leaders right through to the heads of departments and their operational and teaching staff. The fact that everyone talks about wanting PTSB to be one of the best polytechnics in Malaysia and believing that they can, I'm sure they will get there someday. And whilst we see the injection of new wave programs into their course offerings, and I, I mean industry 4.0 type new wave programs, I do wonder how much one polytechnic can do given some of the barriers and inflexibility of government policies and procedures there are here in Malaysia. There are challenges of speed to market, which we in Australia are also facing. Before we get something out, it is possibly already obsolete or on its way out. There are notions that exam-based is still the main measure of achievement. Industries do not have strong enough voices in developing training courses, which then leads to inconsistencies in curriculum development and a lack of alignment between graduate outcomes and industry needs. This country, and many in ASEAN, requires a transformation of some parts, if not the entire education system, focusing on and raising achievement for all students. And honestly, this will require an entirely new perspective so that students are given the opportunities to develop skills needed for the 21st century. And rather than simply adding staff and facilities, there is now a need to understand and improve the dynamics of the teaching and learning process, in particular when we look at vocational education and training. One observation I made is that Malaysian polytechnics probably have more PhD staff members in their faculty than one would expect in an Australian TAFE or RTO. 
Now, the second site visit we made was to the Penang Skills Development Centre, which is probably at its highest level of operating a talent development centre by industry for industry in this region. It has been used as a model for many countries, but it is difficult to replicate unless you have the support of industry themselves as well as government. Even so, with good programs, trainers and outcomes, PSDC still finds it difficult to fill seats in some of their training programs. And it's all about the young people looking at vocational work as not something that they would want to do. Training alone is not sustainable to them as an organization, so they have branched out into other services such as consultation, short corporate training, rental of their training and lab space for new product testing and the like. With the support of government, industry and the institution board, PSDC has managed to stay on top of their game, but will need to keep innovating to stay in the game. Those are my observations of both those sites. Lovely summary. And I really appreciate how balanced you've been. Like we did see some great things, but you're quite right to remind us it's not nirvana um, and things aren't straightforward. There are still issues for both the Polytechnic um, and the Skills Development Centre to continue to focus on and, uh, and to tackle. So, Celia, one of the things that uh, was a, a real theme that came up again and again at the um, ASEAN Australia Education Dialogue was the value of a competency-based approach to VET or TVET as it's called in the region. And while I think you're right, there is still obviously, and you know this better than uh, than any of us, a, a perception issue with with careers that that leads to for um, young people in the region. Um, Competency based is still a new approach to many ASEAN uh, providers. I, I wonder if you could talk a bit about what role you think Australian vet providers can play uh, in helping them adopt or adapt um, uh, to a, a more competency based approach to to education. Sure. Um, Competency-based approach to VET was definitely discussed at length during the panel discussion at the AAED. Um, and you're right, it is definitely still quite a novel idea. It's funny how ranking students is, such, is still such an important part of education in this part of the world. And when talking about VET courses, I still have institutional partners and parents asking about exams and how will they know who's at the top of the class or at the bottom of the class. And when I explain the competency-based training and assessment means it's either the student is competent or they are not, based on the teacher's or the trainer's assessment of their work, and if they are competent, according to what industry has asked for, they should get hired. It is not a notion that many people in Asia can accept as many will look towards grades and rankings, maybe for scholarships, further studies, promotions, or even just bragging rights to friends and family that my son or daughter was at the top of the class. Now, before I go into how um, ASEAN, Australia and ASEAN can work together to build nations of skilled workers, let me first set the scene by giving you some skill shortage numbers in the region. In ASEAN countries and many other countries, the shortage of skilled workers has been predicted to run into the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, depending on which country you're talking about. Indonesia requires at least 113 million skilled workers by 2030 to achieve economic growth in priority sectors such as manufacturing, infrastructure and agribusiness, almost double the number it currently has, which is around 55 million skilled workers. 
or less than half of its 128 million strong workforce. The Indonesian government has developed a roadmap to guide it in its, in its ambition to provide training for 58 million Indonesians by 2030. This is the same for most countries in the ASEAN region. Malaysia now aims to achieve 35% skilled workforce by 2030. The Vietnamese government has a commitment to modernizing its economy and transforming its workforce to respond to broader global technological changes with its Industry 4.0 agenda. Currently, only 15% of Vietnam's current workforce have undertaken some form of formal vet training before entering the labor market. By 2030, however, the Vietnamese government aims to have 70% of the total number of labor equivalent to about 48 million people having formal vet qualifications. And this presents a huge opportunity for Australian vet providers to deliver both onshore and offshore training. A recent study done by the Bavarian Industry Associations shows that even Germany could be missing up to 3 million skilled workers by 2020, oh, sorry, by 2030. And one of the main reasons for the imminent shortage is Germany's aging population as the number of, people of uh, number of people of working age is set to fall sharply. This is also true for a number of ASEAN countries by 2030, including that of Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, and Vietnam. So Australia and ASEAN certainly have, certainly have a lot to offer each other in building a skilled nation or in building skilled nations. Most ASEAN countries are truly embedded in the notion of building their countries to meet the needs of Industry 4.0. However, the need for competency-based training and the implementation of such training remains the biggest challenge. Australia's VET system is competency-based and is based on occupational skills standards, which are set out in units of competency within training packages and accredited courses. I will note here that not all countries have occupational skills standards that they can use to benchmark competency-based training and outcomes of. In countries like Malaysia, where they do have their own national occupational skill standards, or what they call the NOS, N-O-S-S, and the equivalent of our units of competencies, the challenge is in the implementation and auditing of how these competencies are being taught and assessed. And the word enforcement has been used in my conversations with local trainers here. I find the range and diversity of the quality of delivery the most challenging because it depends on each individual's interpretation and understanding of the standards and the competencies required. Many of the vet trainers do not have industry currency and are unaware of what is happening out there. Some vet trainers have never even worked in industry before and they are tasked to train young students to be skilled to enter the workforce. You can see where that's going to go. As such, there are lots that we can share with vet providers across ASEAN to build their understanding in the use of competency-based approach to training. One of the things that was brought up during the panel discussion is that we can help to build the capability of trainers to help with quality outcomes. This could be done by adopting the Australian International Skills Training Program, the IST, or any other competency-based training programs with the ultimate outcome in mind, and that is to provide the industry with a knowledgeable and skilled workforce. In Australia, all VET trainers are required to go through the CERT 40 AE. And we all know how tedious that is with a lot of nuances, valid or relevant, only for the Australian training environment. And some may even argue if they are. That is a discussion I'm sure you've already had with many other people. The international skills training, um, training courses, however, have been developed specifically for the international market, 
with Australian vet expertise and is licensed by the Australian government for delivery by quality Australian registered training organizations. Currently, only 12, I believe, TAFEs or RTOs are licensed to deliver, to deliver these courses in selected countries. Now, the IST, I know that the IST has already been delivered in countries such as China, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Pakistan, and Myanmar. And right at this time, a group of trainers are undergoing through, are going through the first phase of the IST in Malaysia. So when I spoke with some of the local trainers here with regards to the differences they see in the Malaysian competency-based approach and the Australian approach, their first comment was that there are still compulsory exams in the Malaysian VET system, which is used to determine the competency of the student. And the pass mark to be graded competent is 60%, whereas that would not be good enough in a truly competency-based environment where you are either 100% competent and consistently competent or you're not. The other underlying issue with the Malaysian system is the auditing of the programs and how well it has aligned with the skill standards and whether or not the students have been fairly assessed. Collecting evidence, for example, is not a common practice in vet training here in the region, at least not in the same way that we expect in Australia. Once we have groups of trainers who have the skills to de deliver competency-based skills training, we can then work with them to develop training programs that better fit with what is required now and potentially for the future workforce. And this will need the support from the whole ecosystem, from government, industries, institutions, and the students. And the will to make this work will have to come from all the stakeholders. I must clarify here that I am speaking from personal observations of issues in the system. And whilst I know that there are a lot of good training programs and trainers out there, in general, there is a lack of confidence in the system and capabilities because of the inconsistencies in the system. Having said all of that, Australia and ASEAN are already working together to bridge this gap. And I know that in places like Vietnam, Chisholm Institute is working with the Vietnam government to train their teachers, develop programs and support them to deliver these programs to vocational colleges across the country. Box Hill Institute has recently set up the Australia-Vietnam Teacher Training Center of Excellence, which is the first vocational education teacher training center in Hanoi in Vietnam. Melbourne Polytechnic has been delivering teacher training in collaboration with their partner institutions in Indonesia that are offering Melbourne Polytechnic qualifications offshore. So Australia is already working hand in hand with ASEAN providers, but there is so much more that can be done. And one of the goals is to get the IST recognized by the ASEAN governments in order that there are consistencies in how vocational skills training is being conducted across ASEAN and competencies are what is meant to be for the ASEAN workforce mobility to truly be able to work. So that's really my view on how we can work together with ASEAN. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to prepare those thoughts and uh, and to give us that really uh, the depth of your um, and breadth of your experience. Um, that's been extraordinarily useful and I'm very grateful to you for, again, for, for taking the time that you did. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast uh, and I very much look forward whether it's Malaysia, Melbourne or somewhere else in the region um, I very much look forward to our paths crossing again. Great thank you very much Claire. And with that we're almost at the end of another episode 
If you're a new listener and you find yourself with some time free over the Christmas New Year break, then you'll find plenty to keep you informed and hopefully a little entertained in the various different episodes of the podcast that we've recorded this year. This is number 16 and we've had 21 guests from right across the vet, higher education and international education sectors. We will be back in February 2020 with more episodes. I'm already lining up some more very interesting guests prepared to share their thoughts and ideas with you. If you have any suggestions, do get in touch. You'll find me on Twitter. That's at Seafield and Associates. I'm on LinkedIn. And you can also find Clearfield and Associates on Facebook. Lastly, Christmas uh, wish... Don't forget to please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. It does help people find the show and it does also tell me if what we're doing is working for you. If you subscribe to the show in your podcast feed, it will automatically load the next episode as soon as I've got it available for you. It's been such a treat for me uh, to put this podcast together and have all the conversations I've had so far this year. Looking forward to many more in 2020 and thank you for joining me on this podcast journey as well as for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. <laughs>